Too much. I think it's probably for the best that we didn't do one last week because we probably just talked a big game about the Patriots. Now they're going to win by 35 points. So I think we kind of spared ourselves some kind of embarrassment there because otherwise I think it would have been pretty bad for us. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, everyone picked the Patriots to win. We would have picked the Patriots to win. And um, we saved ourselves the embarrassment of having to go back on what we said. They got outplayed, which that's acceptable. Well, it's not really acceptable, but I've come to grips with it. And, you know, I think we kind of over-evaluated them all year. Because, I mean, obviously they went 14-2, but it seemed like they caught everyone at the right time. Like, Baltimore, they called off the bye week. Uh, the Jets, that was at home, they, they wanted, that was like a revenge game. Green Bay didn't have their quarterback. The Vikings were a mess when, we, when, uh, when the Patriots played them. So, I mean, it feels like we kind of, we kind of, got everyone at just the right time, and that contributed to that really good regular season record. Yeah, definitely. Coming to the season, everyone pretty much picked them to be a nine-win nine win team or a ten-win team. You think about it, that's probably what they deserve to be. Uh, the games you mentioned, the Ravens game, Green Bay game, the um, Chargers game, we just barely won those. Another thing about the game Sunday, embarrassing as it was, as painful as it was, I'm okay with us being outplayed rather than it being a fluke loss. You know, a weird fumble being returned for a touchdown. You know, I would have been extremely upset if that happened. Yeah, but I mean, you kind of, I, I definitely understand that because I was thinking about it, like one of the most gut-wrenching losses of my short Patriots existence. And I mean, I would probably be, number one would have to be Super Bowl, obviously, Super Bowl 42. And then number two yeah, would be that's the, a good one. the loss. And I mean, those two games, we, we expected them to win, and they didn't. But they were they were kind of fluky, you know, the Tyree catch, and, I'm, and they got all played in the Colts game, too. But at the same time, they had an 18-point lead at halftime. And this game, you know, they, they never really had it like they usually do. The offense just looked awful. I think the defense obviously gave up 28 points, but they played all, all right. They made stops in the second half, and... You know, definitely gave the offense some opportunities to make, to make some plays, but they just couldn't do it. And I think you got to attribute that to the Jets' defense. Yeah, I think, I mean, the Jets' defense had a great game plan. And, you know, people have been talking about how the defense wasn't good enough and all that. But, really, the offense screwed over the defense because if you look at the first two scoring drives that the Jets had for touchdowns, the first one was on 50 because the offense couldn't move the ball. And then, then there was one with offense turned the way... Brady threw that pick that was T.J. Marcus Russell did over Good Jarvis Canales' head like 20 yards and got intercepted from him all the way to 20. Defense stopped mm-hmm. the Jets there and both missed the field goal. But I mean, the, and then the fake punt, which was just a terrible call. And I mean, they really, the offense kind of screwed over at the defense. 
at times in that game and just put them in terrible field position where they couldn't really do much to try and stop anybody. You're right. And another thing about this loss is now that's three playoff losses in a row for the Patriots. And obviously all three teams have been different, but the one thing that's been the same has been Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And you got to wonder if they can't get the job done anymore. They've lost their magic. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I can see where, you would, where people would come to that conclusion. But, I mean, all right, quickly, they, they've won 14 games this year. They won the division. They won the division last year. The year before, they tied for the division lead, finished 11-5, and five, but they missed the playoffs as a tiebreaker. And Tom Brady didn't play that year. And the year before, even though they lost in the Super Bowl, they still won 18-0. Joe Mont- the thing people forget or don't really think about it is Joe Montana lost three playoff teams in a row in his career and he went on to win one more Super Bowl with the 49ers so I mean it's not it's not unheard of that this is happening but at the same time yeah it's definitely a little concerning for me and for most Patriots fans that they're just not they just don't seem to get any lucky breaks anymore not, they definitely didn't get the lucky breaks Sunday that they have gotten throughout this year that allowed them to win 14 games and another thing is, is maybe their confidence level is going to drop a little bit. You know, during the first part of the century where they won three Super Bowls in five years, and you could just see is the confidence that all these young players, Brady was young at that point, stepping up in the big games and really coming through in the clutch. And you got to think maybe now they're getting a little more comfortable, and they're not the hunters anymore. They're the hunted. So you got to figure maybe that's something. You know, I'm saying other thing. Uh, you're talking about how they always seem to come up with the big plays and how Brady and them always seem to come up with big plays. I mean, a lot of that had to do with that veteran influence. And they don't really have that leadership that they used to have. Guys who have been there and done that. Like, when you go into the locker room, like, 2004, 2005, I mean, you have Bruschi and Ronnie Harrison and Mike Vrabel. They're all around the locker room, and they're all the guys the younger generation of players can look up to. I mean, now... It's mostly younger guys, and if I'm not mistaken, there are only three guys left on the team that have been Super Bowl champions three times, all three Super Bowl champions. Uh, it's Brady, Kevin Falk, and Matt Lane, I think. I mean, those are the only three, the only three guys left mm-hmm. from the Super Bowl 36 win, and I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, they don't really have that leadership that they used to have, and I, I, maybe they'll develop over time, but right now they don't have it. Yeah, definitely. Right after... Um... Drew Bledsoe gave up the quarterback position to Tom Brady. He immediately took control of the leadership role of the offense, and that hasn't been an issue at all. But definitely on the defense, there hasn't been a leader since Teddy Bruschi. Since he left a couple years ago, there really hasn't anyone that could step in and take charge. you got to look at guys maybe like Gerard Mayo kind of step forward this year. But, you know, it still could be three, four years before he's really respected as the true leader of that defense. And until then... No, it leaves me worried that after they give up a few big plays, if their confidence could drop, um, if they lose, you know, their integrity and stuff like that, who's going to really step up and tell them to get their act together? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping for the opposite of that, of the scenario you just mentioned. I'm kind of hoping that maybe this playoff loss kind of it teaches the young players kind of how they what they need to do to win in the postseason because. All of these guys haven't been there, and I think this this might end up being a good experience, but at the same time, in the present, it sucks because 
you don't go fourteen and two and you don't you expect to make the Super Bowl and play in the Super Bowl and play for a championship and when you're out <laughs> one and done, it's just it's disappointing. Yeah. And you know, another interesting thing is that this year was labeled as a rebuilding year for the Patriots. Look, you obviously had Tom Brady as your quarterback, but all the pieces around him were either aging veterans or really young prospects. And you got to think, you know, those young guys are going to develop into their roles. And now they have another amazing draft coming up with lots of high draft picks. You know, maybe they do get better over the next few years and maybe establish another dynasty. All right, now, yeah, I see that. The only, the only problem I have with that is, I mean, Tom Brady is, what, 33, 34 years old? They're kind of running out of time to rebuild and make this new dynasty. Mm-hmm. I think if they're going to win another Super Bowl or two. Wait, you don't believe in Brian Hoyer? No. You don't believe in Brian Hoyer? Oh, Brian Hoyer? I, I mean, he threw, he threw a good pass in that uh, Dolphins game, but Miami kind of quit, like, week 10. So I don't know, but you got a good arm. I'll give him credit, but... Hoyer to Tate, that's the future. If that's the future, I'll be a little bit nervous. <laughs> but, I mean, I think, honestly, I think they need to go and they need to make a play and get a playmaker, wide receiver, speaker, just go on a Tate. Because right now they have all the little smurfs. They have Walker and you know, Tom Branch, and Tate's not that big either. Edelman's kind of small, Woodhead, and, you know. So they have a bunch of small guys, quick guys who run pretty good reps, but they can't really get open. And you saw the pass the, that Sanchez threw to Antonio Holmes in the back of the end zone. That was a fantastic hit. The Patriots don't have a guy like that mm-hmm. who they can throw up the ball to and say, all right. Tom Brady's going to make the throw, and you're going to, even though you're not open, you're still going to make a play and make the catch. Anyway, I mean, they have a bunch of small guys who, if they're not open, they're not going to be able to make make the catch. That's really that's really their biggest weakness, and the Jets, ex- Jets exposed that. And I think they need to go and really make a play for a big-time wide receiver who would be on the market. Yeah. Maybe like Gerald. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. you're right. You're definitely right that the Jets... The Jets defensive backs and their linebackers when they drop back into coverage were excellent at <clears throat> making sure these guys could not get open, and that was really the downfall of the Patriots on Sunday. And, you know, when they traded Randy Moss and got Deion Branch, people were saying, oh, this is what Brady was meant to do, lots of possession receivers, short passes. Uh, you know, they're better like this. But can you really say that they were better than 2007? Can you really say any team is better with a quarterback that's not throwing 50 touchdown passes, all these ridiculous stats. I mean, that was really the best Tom Brady season. And they went 16-0. You can't say that that wasn't their best season. So I think you're right that priority one should be to go out and get a big-name receiver and give Tom Brady other options than five foot five white guys coming out of the backfield. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, not, not, not that I have anything against the white guys. I love mm-hmm. the hope for, hope for all the, every guy out there, like me, 5'11 and white, but... Still got a chance. But there's a ch- yes, there's still a chance. I still got hope. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, even back then, the thing about those early Super Bowl teams were that even though the receivers weren't that great, the defense wasn't that great, and this year's defense wasn't that on that level at all. I mean, it was... It had some good games, it had some good moments, but that was also because they, the Patriots were playing from ahead most of the time and defensively they're able to key in on doing certain things but 
as we saw when they got down against the Jets, just kind of were able to keep them on their toes and do whatever they really wanted to. So, I mean, yeah, they need to upgrade it up a little bit on their CBAs. I think offensive line becomes a priority, They're aging at the offensive line. And I think the biggest priority at all of them is get a pass rusher because their pass rush all year is just atrocious. It's terrible. When Vince Wilfork is your best pass rusher, you know you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's great, and I love Vince, but he's really a run stuffer and a guy who just takes up space. When he's the guy you're expecting to push the block back, I mean, Tully Panzikane is probably the team's best pass rusher, and that's, that's really just not good at all. Okay, all this Patriot talk is starting to get me a little depressed. You know. Yeah, I'm depressed too. It's time to do that. I guess let's just take a quick look at the two games coming up this weekend, the AFC and NFC Championships. All right, well, I'm looking at the NFC Championship right now, and I think this is... This, well, both games are really interesting, but I'm really looking at the NFC Championship game because I think Rodgers is trying to take take over the, uh, the championship belt for quarterbacks and the only way he's going to be able to do that really is if he wins the Super Bowl and you know Chicago I think Chicago is starting to feel a little disrespected mm-hmm. but at the same time I think Green Bay Green Bay is probably the better team so I think it's going to be a really interesting game <laughs> yeah I agree it will be interesting um, thing is I don't know how the Packers can do in an outdoor environment they obviously play in Green Bay and have won there, but you saw when they played in Chicago in the last week, they struggled a little bit. And that was a must-win game for them, and they still struggled. And But then you see them go into a dome in Atlanta and just wreak havoc. So they definitely are an offensive-minded team, but with a great defense, which makes them a little dangerous. So I'm, um, I'd be scared if I was the Bears. And if they make it to the Super Bowl, I'd also be scared as either the Jets or the Steelers. Well, yeah, going to that Justin Steelers game, I think it's really interesting to see Rex Ryan, he's crazy like a fox, his new strategy, instead of diving headfirst into the trash talk like he did last year against New England, he's uh, sticking his toe in the water here against mm-hmm. the Steelers, and he's kind of just complimenting him and praising everything they do. I think he knows better than to get Troy Polamalu and James Harrison and those guys on the Steelers defense all fired up. So I think he's playing it. He's kind, of, he's kind of a genius, I think, with this whole off-the-field stuff. Yeah, I mean... Video. You saw... Yeah, you saw what they did against the Patriots and really trash talk, and as much as I hate to say it, I think the Patriots were definitely a little soft this year. I mean, their defense wasn't that great, and when the face of your team is Tom Brady, who is doing advertisements for Uggs, then I think you're going to show off as being a little bit of soft, as soft. So that was an issue. But the Steelers, on the other hand, they have a reputation for being tough, and their defense has lots of hard hitters. So, you know, I wouldn't go out there and <clears throat> get them fired up. Yeah, and also on that, I mean, how many more, how many more good road games is Mike Sanchez going to play? I, I mean, he's, he's starting to get a little ridiculous here. Just keep running on the road and, now I think I think this is that's why I don't think they're gonna win this week. It's I mean they this can't keep up, can it? This is it's gone. It's getting a little ridiculous. All the road games that this Jets team with Mike Sanchez and Rex Ryan has won in the playoffs. Yeah, I I think Mark Sanchez is the king of lucky breaks so far this season. 
But so far in the playoffs, he has proven that he can come up big in late-game situations. So you got to think, you know, maybe he really has taken that next step to being not an elite quarterback yet, but a good quarterback. And with a defense like the Jets have, you don't really need an elite quarterback. You just need one who can protect the ball, which Mark Sanchez has been doing an all-right job of this year, and can get the lead, and then just the defense can hold on to the lead, and they just need to be conservative on offense. Yeah, I think we've seen that with Sanchez. And he's had some really good games, like against uh, Bengals last year in the first round, and then against the Patriots last weekend. But I still think he's, like, he's a weak link. And, and because of that, I, I just feel like the Steelers are going to win this game because I, I, don't, I don't really have a real reason for it other than, like, other than the Steelers play great defense and Ben Roethlisberger is a really good playoff quarterback. But I just, I just feel like the Steelers are going to win. That's just my gut feeling. You know, as a Patriots fan, who do you want to win this game? Because you look at it and, you know, you obviously don't want the Jets to win because Rex Ryan will be shooting off his mouth all off season if they win the Super Bowl and next two weeks and they beat us but the Steelers if they win they have a good chance of winning the Super Bowl and then Rosselsberger has his third championship and then people start saying he's better than Brady and we can't have that no we can't have that at all I mean that'd be terrible uh, well that's, that's a really good question I've, I've, like, I've been thinking about that but I, I really don't know who I want to win that game I, I think it should just tie and then both NFC teams should just play for the Super Bowl. That's what I think should happen, just so we can avoid that altogether. But I, I really, I really, 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 really don't want the Jets to win. So mm. I'm a little. I, I, I'd rather have the Steelers win and then lose in the Super Bowl, and have true. the Jets win another week, and then just have to deal with all that shenanigans for mm-hmm. another for another week. Even though Rex Ryan on. Super Bowl media day might be one of the top one great things to ever happen in ever in Super Bowl history. That would be pretty entertaining. Can't lie. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. But, you know, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger will ever be as good as quarterback as Tom Brady. Because seriously, if Tom Brady went into a bar and asked a girl if he wanted to go back to his place, I don't think he'd get no for an answer. Ben Roethlisberger wouldn't get no for an answer either. Well, he well, might he, he, he might get no, but he just he won't take no for an answer. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> the white mama strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if him and Kobe have ever met. That'd be an interesting conversation they'd have. I'm not sure how interesting it would be. Well, Kobe would probably say something snarky and then walk away, and then Ben Roethlisberger would just be confused. But I don't know. I, I feel like they they might be good friends. I feel like they have a chance mm-hmm. to be good friends. Interesting. We'll see how that turns out in the future, hopefully. I can't even talk about football right now, honestly. Just, just deflating. Uh, do you want to talk about some NBA? Let's do, let's do some NBA. I'm always up for NBA. Alright. Uh, Celtics won tonight. Uh, they beat the Jazz. They look good. And it's, it's really just unreal how KG, when he comes back from the injury, he just completely changes the dynamic and demeanor of the, of the Celtics in general. It's really it's really tough to put into words mm-hmm. what he does for this team. Yeah, I mean, his stats hasn't been that great since he got back. He did get 21 points tonight. Um, that's really his first great statistical game, but it's just the presence he has on the court. You know, I went to the game Wednesday night, and it was a real low-energy game 
but in the fourth quarter, they really amped it up. And it was KG behind it. He's screaming the whole time. He's talking on defense. And they really missed that when he's not in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's just like KG's in there. I mean, no offense to Big Baby. Because he's been, he's been pretty good this year. He kind of slowed down a little bit when they had to put him in the starting lineup. I don't, I don't think he can take all those minutes. No, he cannot. But when he, he did a good job. But he, he's no Kevin Garnett. And defensively, it's just no contest. KG just changes, like I, like I already said, the whole dynamic of the team. He really gives them that defensive edge that they don't have when he's not in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and as KG said himself uh, a couple years back, defense is the Celtics' backbone. And without the backbone of your defense in there, you know, you're really going to be weak. And immediately, as soon as he goes in there, they become the best defensive team in the league, and they're hard to beat. And, you know, that being said, and I know I'm going to be biased here because mm-hmm. Rondo's my second favorite player of all time. I think I still think Rondo's more indispensable than KG. I mean, if you lose either one for an extended period of time, you're going to be in trouble. But Obviously. When, when KG's out, you can still put in Big Baby and be serviceable. I mean, either way, if you lose Rondo or KG, you're, not, you're probably not going to win the title. But when you lose Rondo... I mean, Big Baby can still be serviceable replacement for KG, but when you lose Rondo, you got to put in Nate Robinson, and Nate's good off the bench for 10, mm-hmm. 15 minutes, and he comes in and, you know, maybe scores some points, you know, but he's so, he makes the dumbest moves on the court, and it's so infuriating to watch sometimes, mm-hmm. and when he's out there, the offense doesn't run like it does when Rondo's in there. Rondo runs the show. Just think of it this way. Could you win a championship with Nate Robinson as your starting point guard and Kevin Garnett as your starting power forward, or Rondo as your point guard and Glenn Davis as your starting power forward? I, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, yeah, see, I don't... See, that's the thing. I mean, like, like I said, if you lose either one of those guys, you're probably not going to win the title. But, I mean, I still feel like Rondo is more important because... At least when he's in there, other guys get in the shots. When Nate's in there, it's just I mean, he can, he just pulls up for threes, gets the ball out of him, and pulls up for a three for no real reason whatsoever. He'll be, and you're just wondering, mate, why would you do that? And I'm sitting there yelling at my TV, and my mom's looking at the room saying, "Greg, what are you yelling at?" And I said, "Don't worry about it, mom." It's just it's so frustrating to watch. Just night in night out, he does some of the dumbest things on the court. And I mean, sometimes when the shots are going down, it's all good. But when he's ice cold, he's not really setting up his other teammates, and it's infuriating. You know, you're right. You're definitely right But about the Nate Robinson thing. But I'm going to have to disagree with you on the Rondo over KG. I, I obviously don't want to lose either of them, but I would rather play without Rondo than without KG in the playoffs. I think it comes down to KG's intensity is just invaluable to this team and you saw in the preseason I know it's the preseason but when Rondo didn't play Nate Robinson's putting up 25 points a game you know almost 10 assists a game and you know I think he's capable of running the team but when he's in the position of coming off the bench or starring over Rondo he tries to be a hero a little bit and if he really had to take over the reins of that offense I think you know that could be fixed I think Doc could change his mentality. And the thing about that also is, I think, if that was, say, Rondo goes out in April, 
hypothetically. By that time, Delonte will be back. And mm-hmm. Delonte is definitely more capable than Nate Robinson is of running the offense and running the show. And I'd feel a lot more comfortable with the keys in Delonte's hands and then having Nate come off the bench where he's really made to come off the bench and be that guy who comes in for, like I said, 10 to 2 minutes and scores <laughs> every once in a while, you know. But mm-hmm. I think, I just don't feel comfortable with Nate running the offense. We saw it in the, uh, the game against Orlando. Not the last game, played the first game. Just towards the end of that game, they had no one to initiate the offense, and they kind of just hangs around the three-point line and just shoots threes and doesn't really do anything. And that's where Rondo's really valuable, because he sets everybody else up like a point guard should. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this will support my statement that Delonte West is was the best pickup this offseason. You know, obviously Shaq's been playing great. Jermaine O'Neal, when he's healthy, has been great on defense. Uh, not so much on offense, but definitely defense. Jermaine O'Neal, you mean, well, you mean the Jermaine O'Neal? Uh, Jermaine O'Neal, not going to miss four months. That's it, not enough, almost four weeks. You, you, said, you said it yourself when, when we were watching the game together. You said he's, he was playing great. You know, he yeah, was. Well, that was one game. I mean, I, I make exceptions <laughs> every once in a while. Everybody has a great game. Sonny or Dent had a couple of great games <laughs> for him. Yeah, it doesn't make him a great player. Well, I'm not saying he's a great player. I'm just saying he's filling out his role nicely when he's healthy. And let me get back to my point here, you know. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Jermaine O'Neal's been doing his thing at some times. Shaq has been doing his thing. He's been great with his team in this city. He's really rejuvenated the whole team. But Delante also doesn't help with his position. But he also allows Nate Robinson to do his job better, which is to just go in and score. He doesn't have to worry about running the offense. So if Rondo goes out and Delonte is your point guard, then obviously he won't be as good, but I think we'll be fine. As opposed to KG going out and then Big Baby, we obviously, I think we lose a little bit on offense and defense. Yeah, that's a fair statement. That's definitely a fair statement to make. All right, I'm going to give you the W on this one. You convinced me. All right. And another team that has been very interesting this year is the Miami Heat. And over the past week or so, they've started to struggle because there have been injuries to all the big three. And is this something that we saw coming, that if one of the big three got hurt, that they would really struggle? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're definitely seeing that right now. I mean, Le- LeBron twisted his ankle, which is karma for him bringing up karma about the Cavs. Yeah. Literally, like, uh, two I, nights later, he just rolls an ankle and misses some time. I saw that. Yeah, that was really good that he sends out the karma tweet, then very next night twists his ankle and the Heat go on a four-game losing streak. Yeah. Maybe, so I think, honestly, I think someone should just ban Twitter from LeBron. Like, just take it away from him. Just ground him. No, no Twitter for, like, until the end of the season. Because well, I think Coach Poe is, I don't think Coach Spolstra has enough balls to go up to LeBron and tell him what to do. Now, now you're implying that Coach Poe actually has balls, which we, I'm pretty sure he doesn't, so true. I think that's out of the cards. But yeah, like, like you were doing before we get off topic on other things, yeah, mm-hmm. like, I mean, when we got trained up in training camp and heard them there. Going, going into the season, and Chris Bosh gets hurt, and when Dwayne Wade's the only one out there, it's, it's pretty bad. Let's be real here. And Mike Miller isn't helping matters. 
I'm pretty sure he got kidnapped by some like gang of street thugs and is being held hostage in a Miami hotel and he got replaced by some guy who looks like him and is playing in all the games for Miami because he's just been god awful this year. That, it's unbelievably terrible. That was a worse twenty million spent than Darko Milicic. Think about it. Well, yeah, that's how bad Mike Miller is playing. Darko <laughs> Milicic is playing better than Mike Miller. That's that's not good at all for your title hopes. Yeah, and Miami's excuse for struggling a little bit is, oh, we don't have Mike Miller. We don't have our fourth wheel. Well, it looks like they're not getting that fourth wheel. Uh, I think he's pretty bad. Yeah, it looks like, looks like the Carlos Arroyo, Mario Chalmers platoon is going to be their fourth wheel. And... Yeah, that doesn't bode well. They need depth. I, I talked about that extensively a couple of weeks ago. I said depth about eight times in the span of 30 seconds. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Miami, that's the one thing they don't have, and that's why they're probably a year away from winning the title. But at the same time, just like, like you said, they lose one guy, and all of a sudden, the whole thing goes to hell. Unless that one guy is maybe Chris Bosh. I mean, the only guy who they... Can't, really can't afford to lose is LeBron because he can carry the team for maybe a couple of games or so, but the just supporting cast is so bad that everyone has to be healthy all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Chris Bosh, obviously everyone knows, is he was extremely overrated and overvalued coming into the offseason. He's, he's just going to be a good stats on a bad team guy. But I think Dwayne Wade is a little overvalued. You know, he obviously puts up huge scoring numbers and is pretty good at rebounding and assists too. But he only won one championship, and that was with Shaq in his semi-prime. He was still mobile and you know pretty efficient at the time. And since then, he's been on a couple lottery teams. Um, you know, really, last year was the best year, and they just got a fifth seed. So maybe he can't carry a team by himself either. It's just LeBron. Well, I mean, with all due respect to... Dwayne Wade and the Miami Heat. He's had maybe a worse supporting cast over his career, with the exception of those Shaq years when they were really good title contenders. The last like three or four years have just been really, really bad. Like we're talking Michael Beasley last year before he got good this year inexplicably. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went, they lost a ton of games. But. One year. Was LeBron's supporting cast any better in Cleveland? Well, I think it might have been a little bit better last year. But obviously we're seeing how much how important LeBron was to the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Because they've just, just fallen off the map and they're pretty much screwed for the next five years at least. But I'm, I'm not saying that Dwayne Wade's supporting cast was better or worse than LeBron's. I'm just saying that if we're going to talk about LeBron having carried a team, don't forget Dwayne Wade has had an equally terrible supporting cast for the most part over the last three or four years, and they've still made the playoffs every year except for one really down year. So, I mean, and plus he does have a ring, which LeBron can't say that he has. Bosh can't say he has. So, he got that going for him. And in that finals, he was terrific, too. That's true. the officiating. You know, he definitely is a great player. I'm just questioning whether or not if LeBron goes out, that team is a contender anymore. Well, yeah, I think LeBron, LeBron's still the best player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can argue Kobe all you want, but I, I still think LeBron brings the most to his team 
as an individual player. I still think Kobe, I'd rather have Kobe in the fourth quarter taking the last shot, but LeBron, LeBron for four quarters, I'd rather have that, mm-hmm. personally. You know, everyone says, oh, Kobe comes up in the clutch, he has more championships, but, I mean, really? Would you take the 6'6", declining guard, or the 6'8", 280-pound of solid muscle, fastest player in the NBA? In his prime. In his prime? I just, I don't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, I, Kobe can still get it done, no doubt about it, but I, let's be real here, LeBron's the best player many MVP, and just because he hasn't had Pau Gasol, Lamar Odom mm-hmm. on his team, guys like that, or Andrew Bynum, yeah, you think won a couple titles with LeBron has managed to win 127 games the last two regular seasons coming into this one mm-hmm. with basically a crap sandwich. <laughs> well, can I ask, can I ask go back and call a no homo on the description of LeBron? I, yeah, that's fine. I did fine. say he was made of pure muscle. I would just like to tag on a no homo to the end of that. And, um, yeah, you're right. If you put Lamar Odom on those Cavs teams, he automatically becomes the second best player. But yeah, he isn't even the the in starting lineup for the Lakers team. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing. I mean, Kobe got five rings, and that's all good and well. He won three rings when Shaq was in his prime, mm-hmm. playing on the same team. And then he won two more rings, obviously, after the Gasol trade, to get another quality big man. Has LeBron ever played with any players like that, ever? And you can't say he has. He's played with aging Shaq. Not even aged Shaq. The past team kind of strong Shaq. So probably the second best player he's ever played with is a slightly past his prime, Anton Jameson or Mo Williams, and Mo Williams is terrible. I'm seeing now. Has LeBron ever played with an All Star? I don't think he has. And I oh Mo Williams, Mo Williams had the All Star team in two thousand in two thousand and nine. He made it, but that was because LeBron would literally stride to the hoop every time, and then kick it to Mo, who could wide open, mm-hmm. and then. Last year, even Mo was still getting the same shots and wasn't knocking him down, so he didn't make the All-Star team. That's pretty much how it went. And then you look at Kobe, who has three All-Stars, and one of the best wing defenders in Von Artest. So, I mean... And a center who's seven feet tall, even if he doesn't play half the games, still, when he's in there, he's still a beast. Yeah. And Andrew Bynum. That's true. But no, they're definitely equal players. And Kobe's probably better because he has more rings. So, don't get me started on this topic because I can go all day and break it down and I'll just get really angry and frustrated mm-hmm. about this because I just don't like Kobe. Also, there was an interesting stat I saw the other day that the Lakers are like 2-10 and 10 or something like that when Kobe takes over 25 shots. But no, they're right. Kobe definitely needs to score a bunch of points and take a bunch of shots because he really is the best player in the NBA. Oh my goodness, it's frustrating, but people will always look at rings and as an individual statistic instead of a team statistic, and uh, well, not devaluing well, rings. If you look, if you they look, are important, they show that you can win, and LeBron has shown a tendency to kind of choke away playoff series and hasn't had great big moments, but at the same time, I mean, the Magic series, which a lot of people talk about in 2009, 
he averaged almost a triple double and put up 38 points a game in that series. It wasn't his fault a lot. It was the fact that Ladrinus Vygotskis couldn't guard me out there. <laughs> so, well along Dwight Howard, and that was really the downfall of that team. Yeah. All right. Well, an interesting thing is that Michael Jordan didn't win his first championship, what, six years into his career? And LeBron is in his seventh or eighth, so, you know, maybe there's still time for him. And another thing, if you're going to judge players by their rings, then Adam Morrison, who has two championship rings, is better than every player on the Celtics, except Shaq. Yeah, and don't forget, Sasha has a couple rings, too. And, you know, he's a great player. Not, mm-hmm. But, yeah, rings, rings are really a team evaluator. And, well, I'm not valuing them at all. Because mm-hmm. rings are really important to a singular player's legacy. But you can't forget that a great player can be trapped on a bad team, and if he doesn't win any rings until those players get better. I mean, Michael Jordan, people say, oh, Michael Jordan accepts his teammates, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But really, it was, wasn't so much Michael Jordan accepting his teammates, it was his teammates getting better and allowing Michael to be able to be Michael and go out and do his thing without having to worry about everyone else failing him like they had the previous couple seasons before he had won his title. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... That's kind of been like that's kind of been LeBron the last couple of years, and then there's that whole Blonte thing, being his mom, and that he, that he kind of just quit on last year's cast team. Oh, I, I saw a shirt walking out of the TD Garden the other night. It said Delonte West boned LeBron's mom. Yeah, so I, I've seen all those hope hope shirts, like the Obama hope shirts, and they mm-hmm. come. Nope. They have like a LeBron, nope one, a Kobe, yeah. nope one. There was one for uh, Delonte that said Mofo, <laughs> and I was. I was inches away from buying it, but I, I held off the last second because I didn't actually have any money with me, and I wasn't going to steal it. So, yeah. oh. I mean, I was, it, was, it was probably one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my entire life. Future investment, for sure. You know, and back to the championship things, I think one of the personal accolades that I think should be valued the most is finals MVP. Because not also did, well, not only did you carry your team to the finals, but you won it, helped win it for him. Look, the first three rings for the Lakers in the Kobe era, all Shaq. He got all three. And then these past two, Kobe got it when... Even though Gasol should have got it last year, but Gas- whatever. Right, the, Gasol definitely should have got it last year, but, I mean, it's Kobe. you got to give it to Kobe because yeah. he's the big name. And against the Magic, who did the Magic have that could have guarded Kobe? I mean, Dwight Howard could shut down the bigs, and is Courtney Lee going to stop Kobe? So, I, don't, I, don't think he, I don't think that's going to happen. No. So I think he just kind of won both by default. Yeah. And so I, I think he's overvalued. It, say if the Cavs won against the Spurs or any of the past years, then it's LeBron hands down. Not only is the best player, but for them to win, he would have had to play his best. Kobe had an awful game seven, and they still won, which shows he didn't need to be his best. So maybe he isn't their most valuable player. Yeah, I think Kobe the last... Couple, couple finals. He hasn't really had like that huge game where like, wow, Kobe really carried them that game. I mean, he had a couple hot streaks in last year's finals where he hit a couple threes, if I remember correctly, in Boston mm-hmm. a couple times. But really, he never had one of those games like, wow, he just put up a 35-point, like six or seven rebounds, eight assist performance, and really just took, a, took the hearts of Celtics. It was kind of, oh, there's another... 
10 grade or 25 performance from Kobe there. You know, stuff like, it wasn't really like a great performance from him last year. And even the year before, it wasn't all that fantastic. It was more of a team thing. The Lakers team is better than the Orlando team. So, I mean, I'm not really all that impressed with the last few Lakers finals. And that's why I hope the Celtics can get back this year and play the Lakers and beat them because I think they're better this year than they were last year. Rondo's better. Ray Allen looks good. Paul Pierce looks good. KG looks way better than he did last year. And they're going to have Shaq and Perkins mm-hmm. back. So I think that will be a great finals matchup. Hopefully that's what happens. Oh, yeah, the list goes on and on of how the Celtics have improved and the Lakers have gotten worse. You know, you look at Game 7, we had to rely on Rasheed Wallace to be our best big player, and that just wasn't going to happen. No. No. And I think this year, obviously, with all the new additions, um, the big three are having career years, shooting-wise. Um, Rondo, obviously, has taken a huge leap. And... I think for legacy's sake, we have to play the Lakers and beat them. Because say San Antonio, Matt Dallas, or Oklahoma City makes it, and I think we'd have an easy time beating those three teams, then everyone would just say, oh, well, they never beat the Lakers. They only beat them once. They never beat them a second time. So really, the Lakers were a better team. And, you know, can't have that happening. No. I think the Lakers can't be allowed to win any circumstances. No. And that's the way that should be. Yeah. Well, I just hope that we can win the next two championships before we suck for another 20 years. Yeah, I'm not looking forward. This is not, not going to be an easy transition after the new big threes mm. over with, for lack of a better term. Well, you never know, because if you look into the future, well, not the near future, two years from now, I think there'll be some good free agents. Uh, Kevin Love, for one. Oh, I can't, I can't even tell you how excited I am for Kevin Love. I, I did that. If they can get their hands on Kevin Love, mm-hmm. I'll get draw. Rondo Love. Oh, and also Blake Griffin's two-year option will be expired by then, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, that's pretty sick. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, there'll, there'll be opportunities to do things. Oh, and Dwight Howard, his contract's up. No, he he's gonna go to LA. He's oh. gonna he's gonna play for the Lakers. Oh yeah, well, there's really no doubt about that. Remind me, I'm so a little depressed about that. <laughs> so love Dwight, and I, I can't afford hating Dwight Howard. Yeah. It, it, it's a generational thing. Ten years. In the '60s, Wilt went out west. In the '70s, Kareem went to the Lakers. '90s, it was Shaq. You know who's next? Could be Dwight Howard. Trust me, I'm, I don't even, That's another thing I don't want to think about. Forget about the Patriots. <laughs> Dwight going to the Lakers. I might. I might be, I might not, I might go missing. Well, like, well, by that time, Kobe, Kobe will be done. Gasol will be old. I mean, they'll have Bynum, but then they'll have Howard, so there'll be no place for Bynum on that team. So they could just be, you know, really nothing special at that point. Another thing quickly, moving, moving along, about the NBA, uh, but I can't believe we haven't brought up yet, is Carmelo. Oh, yeah. How he's held, how he held, now he's in, well, not, not even the help, he's still holding Denver hostage. And it's really just become a crazy, crazy story that's taken so many twists and turns now. Nico Fogros is just washing his hands the whole situation, just getting out of there. And so it looks like the Nets won't be acquiring Carmelo anytime soon or ever. But mm-hmm. it's just a weird, weird situation. You know, 
it really doesn't make much sense for Prokhorov to just give up, because I think in his shoes, I would have given up pretty much anything for Carmelo to revive that basketball team. I think it was more of a power move by him. We go ahead and say, yeah, we don't need Carmelo. We're fine. We'll pass on you. I really, I don't think it makes much sense basketball-wise, too. Well, I think the whole thing is that it's taking too long and it's taking too much money. And it wouldn't surprise me if Lala Anthony, Carmelo's wife, <laughs> is found in a meat freezer within two weeks. So, <laughs> I mean, just, we go He's kind of a badass. Honestly, sure. whatever he says, I'm just going to go with it. Just accept it. <laughs> and just assume that it's the right move because... I'm kind of hoping he buys the Celtics. I think that'd be pretty cool. But you know, that would be... Yeah, that'd be a little crazy. I don't know. I don't know what I would do if that happened. <laughs> I'd freak out. Right. Now, think about this. This is something I'm going to propose to you. Chris Kamen, Al Camino, and a first-round draft pick for Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, that'd be ideal for the Clips. But, and then Carmelo... Um, I, I just feel like Carmelo wouldn't sign off on that. Do you have no trade clause? Well, I mean, would you sign off on going to the Nets? He was willing to do that. Yeah, that's true. Why but, like, would you choose? He's obsessed with going to New York. And I think New Jersey's kind of New York. Kind of. Like, yeah. New York's ugly brother. Or other ugly sister. <laughs> Not even. The retarded cousin of New York. Close. But, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, that would be a good trade for the Clippers, and it would just completely, completely change basketball in Los Angeles. But mm-hmm. for the Clippers, not so much for the Lakers. The Lakers would still be the same. And it might even change for the Lakers because it would completely shift the dynamic and the balance of those two teams. You know, the Clippers, talk about New Jersey being the ugly sister. I mean, the Clippers are, like, the penultimate ugly sister. They're basically the Mets. <laughs> Definitely would be something to look forward to, but I I agree that I'm. It's pretty much a sure thing that he's going to New York at this point to play with yeah. Amari. One way or another. I mean, and quickly we brought up Blake Griffin. Uh, he's gonna be playing dunk contest, which last year sucked so bad, but this year looks like he's gonna have a shot because Blake's in it. Mm-hmm. And Demar Derozan is also gonna be in it, and I just wanted to bring him up because. I was thinking top five ugliest players NBA starting five. <laughs> I mean, he's got to be one of the starting five. He's extremely ugly. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> he looks like Sloth in the Goonies, but I don't even understand it. What I don't understand is why the Raptors continue to draft people that truly look like dinosaurs. <laughs> like, do they do they understand that they don't have to look like a dinosaur to play for the Raptors? Well, I mean, it, it, it could be like the Celtics, they need the token Irish guy on the team. Maybe the Raptors need the token dinosaur guy. You never know. Like, I mean, 
butt in on that real quick. Oh, you do? Yes, okay. I'm <laughs> Oh, no, 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 I agree. I was at the Celtics game Wednesday, as I've said about ten times in this podcast. I'm very proud yeah. of it, because it was an amazing game. I met Pat Chung and high-fived Ray Allen's mother. It was amazing. But, mm-hmm. Behind me was this nice family with three young girls, say about, let's go 10, 12, and 13. And they were all holding up signs that said, Marry me, please, Marquise Daniels. Oh, no. <laughs> and, first of all, I feel bad for the father. He wants to... <laughs> he, want, he has raised three girls that want not... Just not, you know, not only do they want to marry basketball players, but potheads like Marquise Daniels. Yeah. And, second of all, why Marquise Daniels? I mean, Rayon, Paul Pierce, Shaq... Why the eighth man coming off the bench? I don't understand it. Maybe, maybe Mark Daniels has a Kovarka. Maybe he's like Kramer. He just got it. He's got it. Well, whatever, whatever it is, he has it. Whatever it is, I hope the father has good luck with that ten years down the road when they're all married to nice oh. basketball players. That's, that's how I'll put it. Basketball players. Start center and save my best for last. Point guard. Center. It's uh, tough. I'm going to go with Paul Gasol. With I can't. Paul Gasol is like an honorable mention. Honorable. <laughs> just, just, just not pleasant to look at. Just really not. <laughs> really not pleasant to look at. Uh, power forward. I think I'm going to have to go with Joe Kim Noah for power forward. They'll be my two bigs. Third, as much as I love him, I gotta go Paul Pierce. He's oh, got, come on. He's got, the facial hair? <laughs> he's got the weird patchy facial hair. He's got the nose that just looks like he ran into a wall at a very young age. <laughs> and he slightly resembles a turtle for some reason. I don't know. He just does. Because he's slow-mo and moves about two miles an hour <laughs> on the court. That's probably it. Alright, well, for my guards, they're both point guards, so I think I'm just going to platoon this one. Starting at the two guard is Jordan Fahmeyer. Dumbo? <laughs> Dumb, he, he, he slightly resembles a rat. I got a nice animal theme going on. He resembles a rat, too, but that's the end of there. Mm-hmm. So, all comes down to starting point guard. NBA legend, no longer in the league, even though probably should be. The one and only... Nick Van Exel. <laughs> I love Nick Van 
Excel. Come on. His head. Yeah, uh, that's, that's throwback. I, I, I love the early 2000s NBA. That's, that's just what I grew up on. Nick Van Axel. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, classic. Classic. Alright. So, I think we've, we've kind of beaten the NBA to death here. We're, we're going off on crazy tangents. Mm-hmm. We are. Let's move on quickly, and we'll wrap this, uh, this third podcast up with a little bit of baseball talk. We haven't talked about baseball, and it's my favorite sport, so... I know it's out of season. We can't wait until we got closer to start bringing it up. But the Rays made some signings today. Uh, they signed Johnny Damon and Manny Ramirez, two ex Red Sox, washed up mm-hmm. Red Sox. Well, obviously, but, I don't think. Well, my view on this is they're not really looking for production out of them because I don't think they're going to get any. But what do you think of it as it being maybe a little? little get-back at the Red Sox for stealing Carl Crawford from that. Uh, I think the Red Sox think that's nice that the Rays are trying to get back on them that way. And, in fact, I'm pretty sure that they're happy that's the way that the Rays <laughs> decided to get back at them rather than trading for anybody that was actually good. And, I mean, let's be real here. Manny's washed up. He's been washed up for a year and a half ever since he got caught doing the juice and mm-hmm. Johnny Damon is still serviceable but really he's he's kind of old too I mm-hmm. mean I feel like that's kind of they just made a move to kind of fill some spots and you know maybe they'll maybe they'll, they'll turn out they do have something left in the tank but I mean Manny only had 265 bats last year and yeah. he barely even played and when he did play he wasn't all that great so I mean I don't know. I think that might be more, even more of a publicity move, too. Mm-hmm. Kind of, sure. oh, well, they signed Manny Ramirez and stuff like that. Well, I mean, how much publicity could really help them? They can't even sell the stadium during the playoffs. Yeah, that's also true. So, I mean, I, mean, well, I don't know. I don't know what to think about those two moves. I think they're kind of just, like, necessary moves. You know, kind of like the Red Sox and Smoltz and Penny mm-hmm. a couple well, of years ago. Kind of, oh, maybe these guys will work out. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> kind, of, kind of move. And that brings me to my next point, is Manny, the past three, four years after leaving the Red Sox, is he's been rotting away on these awful teams. You know, is this really what he was meant to do? And it kind of makes me sad that he's going to end his career, most likely, with um, a not very good race team, I think. Well, right, well here's the thing about the race. I know I'll talk about this more, like, as we get closer to the season. But really quickly, like, I don't think they're going to be that bad this year. I'm not saying they're going to win 95 games like they have the last couple of years. But at the same time, I mean, Toronto was supposed to be terrible last year, but it turns out they could hit home runs and they could pitch. And they, they somehow parlayed that into a above 500 season. And yeah, I, think the race, so I think the race is surprised, just like Toronto did. They have good pitching. They have some guys you can hit. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I don't. I mean, look at the Rays last year. They had some good young pitchers, and you know, turned out to be a really good lineup. But you look at the Rays, and they lost Matt Garza. They traded him, so they really don't have a great pitching lineup anymore. You know, above average at best. And offensive wise, they lost their best player in Carl Crawford, their best home run hitter in Carlos Pena. You know. 
their leadoff man in Jason Bartlett. And all they have left is left is Evan Longoria. And you gotta think he's out of there as soon as his contract is up. You know, starting to look grim for the Rays. Well I mean they just sort of have some prospects that are coming up. I mean they have Helixson, Jeremy Helixson, who last year we saw a little bit of him mm-hmm. and he was pretty good. So I think he's gonna be a bigger part bigger he's gonna have a bigger role this year in the starting rotation than he did Last year, he came up for a couple spot starts. He, he's pretty good. And, I mean, we still think, like, I'm keeping up Toronto, but I think that's, we're going to see a similar kind of season. I'm not saying they're going to win, like, 90, 95 games, saying maybe 75, 80 games. Somewhere hanging around 500 and surprising people. But I feel like I'm not going to count up the race just yet because I feel like their experiences from being in the postseason last couple, two of the last three years. I think that's really going to help them moving forward as an organization. But this year, couldn't they beat the Red Sox? No. I think the Red Sox are going to win the division. And can they beat the Yankees? And I think that's a no also. Wait, quickly, we got to talk about the Yankees, too. <laughs> who have countered the Red Sox making a big move of bringing in Cosper Crawford and bringing in Adrian Gonzalez. They've countered that now so far by signing Mark Pryor by signing Russell Martin who had to go into surgery the next day after they signed him by signing Ralphie Soriano who wasn't like in phase last year for the Rays but mm-hmm. they're, not, they're signing him to be a setup man three years $35 million <laughs> I mean I, it seems like they're just kind of throwing money at the problem and then they uh, yesterday they went out and signed Andrew Jones who's about Six years being past his prime. I mean, they're kind of like throwing money at the problem, and it's not really working because all the good players are taken for the most part. Mm-hmm. And as a Yankees fan, I don't think you ever really have to worry because I think they'll always be in contention with all the money they have. But it looks like they're starting to lose their prestige a little bit. You know, it looks like they're panicking. And in the past, their go-to move is getting the big off-season acquisition by throwing a bunch of money at them and saying, hey, you're going to be a star for the Yankees. And that has really helped them up, helped them out. I don't think they're going to be able to do that anymore now that they've shown signs of panic and, you know, invincibility. Well, um, this podcast has gone on for an hour, probably way too long, but that's all right. Um, looks like we have lost connection with Greg through the phone. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. That's where all of our podcasts will be. Uh, We're going to be doing this once a week, so don't forget to check that out. Subscribe. You'll get it automatically. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. (laughs) 